So what's new? That's what's on today on Let Me Be Frank. Bishop Caggiano runs through some of the things that are happening around the world, uh, in the Vatican, and uh, even here in our own diocese in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Hang on tight and keep your radio right here, 1350 AM and 103.9 FM, or stick with us on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. You can get the app at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at VeritasCatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Starting on February 15th, pastors and ministry leaders in the Diocese of Bridgeport are invited to apply for program support grants with the St. John Paul II Fund for Religious Education and Faith Formation. With a focus on youth engagement and innovative approaches, the JP2 Fund has funded diverse programs, typically running from September to June. Pastors and ministry leaders here in the diocese can apply for up to $10,000 in support of religious education and faith formation programs. The application window runs from Wednesday, February 15th to Friday, March 31st. To apply or for more information, go online to foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network with Bishop Frank Caggiano. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Caggiano. Steve, what a life. Huh? <laughs> what, a life. what a life, indeed. How are you doing, Excellency? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, personally, fine. Mentally, it's the usual, whatever that means. But... <laughs> But uh, my knee is really causing problems. Your knee? Yeah, we talked about it last week, too. Remember yes. I told them the whole story about the lettuce? Well, yes. It's, yes. Not get, it's not getting better. And, and they gave me that cortisone, cortisol shot. It lasted four days. And then all of a sudden, it just like disappeared again. We were back to where we were. Huh. So I've been to the doctor again. I've been to the doctor again. And... As we were chatting before we went on the air, um, he said, well, these are the things you have to do right away. You have to do an anti-inflammatory medicine. Okay. You have to do physical therapy at least two days a week. I said, well, that's going to be interesting. And you have to wear a knee brace. And, he, and the, the nurse comes in with this knee brace. I said, what in the name of goodness? How am I going to put that thing on? <laughs> <laughs> she says, it is a little bulky. I said, yeah, but I mean, I can't. I mean, I have... I have events. I have, I can't just. So I went to the pharmacy and got one. You know, more the 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 working man's version, right? <laughs> the one that that no one knows you're wearing. Exactly, and it helps. It's not helping a lot. Anyway, the doctor said there may be a narrowing of something or other, some cavity, and he said we may have to do a surgical intervention to put this artificial gel so that it's. I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> no, no, I'm Catholic. I said, we believe in proportionality when it comes to medical intervention. So let's do this other stuff first. Let's see what the MRI and all the rest comes up with. Then we could maybe consider that because I don't want to do any of that stuff. Yeah. But but it, it's kind of odd. I can't kneel. So people are saying, oh, look at this guy. What statement is he making now? <laughs> He's not kneeling. <laughs> you know? Oh, gosh. Yeah, and, and it's amazing. You know, you say about access to the disability, which is extremely important. And it's, it's a really, I mean, besides legally, 
required. It's just out of justice. But there are a lot of churches that, that I've been to where there's an awful lot of steps. Oh, boy. And I can't go up steps easily. Oh, no. gosh. No, I'm hanging on to the, to the guardrail for deal, you know, like the handrail for dear life. <laughs> Some of us oh think goodness. I'm drinking. Really, it's kind of sad. <laughs> oh my goodness, you're not you're not old enough for all these. Problems no, yet, I'm 63 can... years old. Can you imagine? But but to be honest, I'm very grateful to everybody who I've gone to see. They've been very kind. It all can aside, I think what we have now is the best approach because the one thing you can do in something like this, too, for anyone, is if you don't really know in the end exactly what you're dealing with. You think you're making it better, but you're actually making it worse. Huh. And something that could be minor can devolve into something major, right? Yes. So I'm waiting for all the final results, and then I'll, I'll share my commiserate the next time we take. This is an ongoing saga, right? But, but, <laughs> but in the meantime, now we know why you're not kneeling. <laughs> yes, yeah, please. Yeah, we don't make statements. <laughs> no. Okay. That, the old uh, psalm says, my flesh may fail. But uh, God is my strength forever. Yes. So, Amen. There you go. Amen. Plus, you know, we had that conversation a while back about, you know, with the recognition that, at least for me, the majority of my life in this world is already over. Well, this has its own spiritual fruit to consider. Because it does, it's in just a short amount of weeks, the idea that you can't go up steps freely or you can't even walk without pain is something three weeks ago I would never have even, it had not, it would not have crossed my mind. Hmm. And now that it does, I think it's, it's, um, it's a sober, it's a sober reminder of not only the frailty of our lives, but how we are dependent upon each other. Yes. Right. What the modern world says, no, it's every man, woman for himself, and it's all about me and rugged independence. That's not that's not true. Yeah. Right. So this has been actually spiritually very helpful. Physically, it's for the birds, but spiritually, it's very <laughs> helpful. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, we should all be uh, praying for your your continued healing on this. You pray for, pray for yeah my sanity. Never mind my knee. Forget the knee. <laughs> okay. Oh so now, what's new, brother? What's new going on in the world? What do you think? Gosh, uh, what's what's new? Where do we start? So much stuff happening. Yeah, uh, from the so diocese to the church to yeah, all over. I thought all today over. would be like let's let's talk about the news. Okay. So, a couple of things on the Universal Church. First of all, the Pope's visit to the Democratic Republic of the Congo, once known as Zaire, yes. and the South Sudan. Yes. First of all, I have been so edified of the response the Pope got in his trip. In fact, there are some people who believe that in his opening air mass at, in the capital, of the Congo, that it was the fifth largest gathering um, that a Pope led in the history of the modern papacy. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it? Yeah. That's... And you saw the images? I did. I mean, the joyfulness, the, the dancing, the, you know, we talk about the culture, revitalizing the culture of the church. Well, we have to realize when I say that, when we say that, 
we're talking about our church here, this part of the United States. It's different in other parts of the United States. It's very different in other parts of the world. And you saw the vibrancy of the church. Yes. Right? And the vocations. Right? I didn't realize that the Congo was as Christian as it is. I think it's the second largest Catholic population in Africa. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. And the South Sudan, where he went for his second piece of the trip, the second half of the trip, uh, he was joined by the, um, by the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury. And also, I don't remember the exact title of the head of the Presbyterian Scottish Church, but they went together. And that represents almost all the Christians wow. in South Sudan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was a pilgrimage of peace. Again, I'm not sure if you, if you saw some of the writing um, or the summaries of the testimonies that were given to the Pope about the violence that, the, that people endured, right? the kidnappings. A young woman told a story of being kidnapped and she was held for 18 months and she was raped eight to 10 times a day. Oh my gosh. For 18 months, a day, a day. And she became pregnant eventually. And she has two twin children whom she carried to the event. One on her back and one in a pouch right in the front, um, presenting them to the Pope. And each of those individuals presented a symbol of the violence that was done like a machete or a rifle or whatever it is. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's unimaginable. Yes. Right. And they welcomed his message of reconciliation and peace. Right. There wasn't this bitterness. And, and so again, it, it talks about how a culture can mold a person, form a person in such a way that you're a living disciple of Christ even though you're going to spend a lifetime learning the fullness of the truth and experiencing ever more deeply the power of beauty, but you, you, you've gotten to the point where it's not, it's not an obligation, it's not a requirement, it's, it's part of your fabric. I couldn't imagine being as peaceful as she was. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, I, I mean, yeah, I can't imagine living under those conditions. Right. And no, no. You know, continuing to be faithful. And then on top of that, I mean, the, the depth of the faith of the people. And not seek vengeance. Yes. Not seek vengeance. I mean, and, and what's even harder, I would have to say, is there could be heroism in the individual. But what about her parents? What about the people in her family? Mm -hmm. I mean, now learning all of this, and chances are, if you look hard enough, you could probably identify who these people were. Not to seek re retribution, right, is just an extraordinary thing, or vengeance. It's an extraordinary testimony of the vibrancy of their own faith. The, the Catholics on the continent of Africa are, I mean, we out here in North America, and I'll speak for Europe too, I mean, we could learn a lot from them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah the, the, the point of gravity of the church has moved south of the equator, without a doubt. The church in the Southern Hemisphere is growing and it's vibrant with all its problems. We are diminishing and we have problems. That doesn't mean we can't grow again. That's what we talked yes. about. 
but but there's some letting go that we have to do. Yeah. Right? Pride, stubbornness, our opinions. Right? As this woman had to give up her desire for vengeance and retribution. Yes. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. I think I read that uh, some of the countries in Africa, they have weekly mass attendance of well above 90%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think the Philippines is still in 56 or 60 something percent of the baptized go to mass. Okay. And France, it's 1%. Gosh. 1%. The founder of Magnificat came to see me, Mr. Dumont. And uh, what a lovely man. And I told him our plans about the one, right? And he was so excited. And he, he wants to partner with us, which is tremendous. But the point is, he said to me that in France, mass participation is 1% in the baptized. Isn't it? I mean, it's, it's speechless. The, yeah. the, the country of Joan of Arc, right? Yeah. The Italians are not. The Italians are actually hovering around 30 some odd percent. Interesting. I mean, that's a lot better than France, but it's still, golly. Right. right. It's better than the United States. Is it? Oh, yeah. The United States, I think, at this point in the aggregate, could not be more than 20%. Oh, boy. Right. But the truth is, um, you could look at that statistic in one of two ways. As you throw in the tile and say, this is it. This is the Titanic. Let's get the violins and start playing. Or... This is the challenge before us. 80% of those who are sisters and brothers do not want to eat with us. Literally, they do not want to spend time with the community, which is the family. So let's go get them. If, I mean, it's no different than in your family. If you don't hear from someone, when you call the person and say, well, where, the, where the blazes are you? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> right. Okay. So that's one. The other is the synod on synodality keeps chugging along. Before you go to that, Excellency, can I mm-hmm. just go back to one thing? Yeah. The Holy Father, he's well into his 80s. He is mm-hmm. not in good health, and he still is traveling. That's okay. one thing that is like, wow. But then the other thing is like, and we saw this also with Benedict and with uh, JP too, is that here's this old man who's mm-hmm. going to a country where he's not from. And the reception, the reception, especially among young people, mm-hmm. it is so mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I get, I'm sure it gives the Pope tremendous encouragement, right, to do that. Sure, it's a great sacrifice. And eventually the Pope will not be able to travel. Just age will not prevent him. And at that point, he had said, if, if he's still alive, that would be the time he would give serious consideration of whether or not he can govern the church. Because governing the church is not governing the Vatican. Governing the church is governing the whole universal church. Yes. Right? Yep. Yeah, I, I, I think, well, we'll see. I mean, but, but again, medicine is different now. Travel is different now. I mean, he did, you're able to get on a plane in a wheelchair, come off the plane. 30 years ago, chances are you couldn't do that as, as easily. This, it's, it's a different world, too. But it's so good for the church and the local churches around the world to see the Holy Father. Oh, no. And it's not, it's not Jorge Bertogonio. Right. Or, or whoever else it may have been, Carol Wojtyla. It's the Pope. It is right. the successor of Peter. 
Yes. Right. Yes. And the interesting thing is I just registered for World Youth Day. Okay. I thought I had registered, but I got this note saying you haven't registered. So I said, oh, no. So, so I'm going. We're going to bring maybe about 55 from the diocese, maybe cool. more. And <clears throat> the pageantry, the grandeur, the, just the, the, the sheer size of it right, also inspires, right? And it is, again, not to beat the horse too much, it, that's an exercise of beauty. When you go to Rome and go to a papal mass, even the simplifying way that Pope Francis, nonetheless, there is a pageantry to it, and there's a beauty to it that inspires people, right? Because remember, beauty is order, proportion. So, yeah, very much so, very much so. So that the Pope traveling is an essential part of his ministry now yeah. in the modern world. Yeah. Right? Okay. Now, so let's, synod, let's talk about synod, Prague. Synod on Prague. Yeah. Oh. Well, well, tell me. Yes. Well, that's isn't that uh, where the European portion of the synod on synodality is beginning? Oh yes, okay. yes, yes. Yeah, the continental phase. Yeah, the continental phase. Well, the synod on synodality is chugging along. Uh, Cardinal Grech had sent a letter to all the bishops of the world, reiterating the fact that there is no preconceived agenda. Now, when people say that, you know, this is just a ruse because there are things that need to be addressed, and he said none of that is true, that the process really is a listening one. That's why it's a two-year process, right, as to what is the, not what you want, what is the Holy Spirit prompting us to address in the modern world? And that was very reassuring, actually, to read. It, it was addressed to all the bishops. I'm hoping he'll address a general letter to everyone, right, to to kind of assuage some of, of, of the fears that people have that this is this is something that has a deeper ulterior motive, which is just not the case. And and I am not certain when the delegates are going to be chosen. They may have already been chosen for all I know. But it, the other thing he pointed out was that the bishop's role in this is extremely important. So that is in direct response to the German synod and its proposal for a synodal council, which the Pope called to task and said, that is an act of elitism, okay, which they did not take too well to in Germany. But as that process winds down, the Pope is becoming more and more firm in his comments that this is not the direction the church needs to go. I would presume sooner or later, there's going to be a moment of showdown that if you didn't hear me the first time, and you didn't hear me the second time, and you didn't understand me the third time, then this is the last time. The answer is no. Yep. Right. So I appreciate the Pope's method is that he wants people to come to realize on their own the error of what they're doing. He's trying to coax them and give them the path to come to the conclusion that they need to come to. But as we've seen in other cases, if he keeps saying it and they don't do it sooner or later, He's going to say, "This is it. We're done." Right? Yeah. It feels right? like we he he needs a, a stronger hand at this point because they're yes. obstinate. Yeah. yeah. Well, I well, they have this idea of, and again, it's it's a question of a synodal council. If if it's a, a, an advisory board, like a lay advisory board, like we would have on the diocesan level, that could make sense. You're just asking for opinion and comment and discernment. But it's not a council that passes legislation. That doesn't make any sense at all, at least in the communion of the Catholic Church. 
senator. So that seems to be going in, in that. And then there's a, a new prefect for, right, for bishops. Yes. For the dicastrian bishops. Yes. Cardinal Willette retired. He will turn 79 in June. So he's certainly of age to retire. There will be others who will follow. Cardinal Ladaria, who is my teacher in the Greg. That's his claim for fame, by the way. He was my <laughs> teacher at the Greg, uh, at the Gregorian. He is also up there in age. Uh, and I think there may be others, Cardinal Sandri. Anyway, but the point is that is an extraordinarily important appointment. Yes. Right? Yes. So do you know, do you know him? No, I do not know him because he is an American bishop, now archbishop, P-R-E-B-O-S-T, prevost. He is originally from Chicago. He is a member of the Augustinian order. He was the head of the order, I think for one or two terms, similar to Cardinal Tobin was the head of the Redemptorist order, I think for, for 10 years. Um, he returned back to Chicago after that was over. He was elected the provincial of the, of the province there. And then he went to the missions. So when he was made a bishop, he was made the, a bishop of Chiclayo, Peru. Yeah. And has been a bishop there, I think, since 2015. So, so he's been a missionary. He's been in Rome. He's been a missionary. And, and I think that's what attracted, I'm guessing, what attracted the Pope, is that he's certainly an American, so he understands the, what I'm going to consider the, the, the first world Mm -hmm. church experience, mm -hmm. but he's so enmeshed in South America that the developing world, he has a very clear understanding of that too. Yes. He is 67, he will be 68 at the end of the year, which means he will serve at least seven years plus those years past retirement. Right? So we have to pray for him. He's not, he doesn't have an easy job right. kind of shepherding who are the bishops going to be in the different parts of the world, right? And is he also, uh, does is that... Um role also involved in discipline? Yes. Yes, for bishops. Yes. It's discipline. Um, remember, vos estis, right? If, if a charge is made against a bishop, either for abuse that he personally caused, or far more often, if there is uh, a complaint, it's that he has not dealt with other cases of abuse correctly. It will go to the congregation of bishops, right? Yes, absolutely. So that's another piece of the puzzle. And then he's the, the, the head of the Latin American Commission, mm -hmm. which then from Peru is make this perfect sense, right? Right. And I'm sure, I've got, I'm, I'm sure he doesn't only speak Spanish, but he also must speak some of the dialects, the Indian dialects yeah. that are in Peru. Yeah. Right? So he'll work. Yeah. <clears throat> he'll be uh, stationed in the Vatican and he'll work with all the, the various nuncios from around the world? Um, he, well, the nuncios, their role in the process would be to obtain the um, curriculum vitae of those bishops. Because remember, this is how the process works. In each of the ecclesiastical provinces, so there are 16 of them, in an, a meeting that occurs perhaps every two or three years, in a confidential proceeding, 
names are proposed by the bishops who are the ordinaries of possible candidates to the episcopacy. And those curriculum vitae are circulated among all the bishops who are present. And they discuss the candidates one by one. And in the older way of doing it, which is still done today in some places, there would be white and black balls. And when the discussion was over, a bag would be passed and you would put in either white for yes, black for no, and they were counted. Hmm. And then those names that had the, the, the placet, the, the affirmation, would then be passed on to the nuncio as the provincial list. Now, that list could have five people. It could have 25 people, depending on how big the province is and the number of priests. So when a see is vacant, either by transfer or death or resignation, right, then the nuncio starts the process. And the provincial list is a piece of that process. It doesn't have to be. person doesn't have to be on the list. But at least you're not starting from scratch. Right. 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 So in a sense, the nuncio's job is to bring the portfolio of three candidates for an open sea to Rome. And then the prefect receives that. And depending on the size of the diocese, has to submit them to Rome, to the Holy Father, whom he meets, presumably every week, because hmm. Cardinal Ouellette met the Pope every Saturday morning, just about every Saturday morning, all year round. And he present. And then from what I'm told, like, G like JP2, so Francis as well, goes through them all. Wow. Right? So he can choose one of the three. Remember, they're given an order. So the idea is the preference is first and second and third. He could rearrange the order. He could throw them all out. Right. He could do whatever he wants. <laughs> There's no right? uh, interview process, right? I mean, it's kind of just a... Oh, no, no. The, they would not. Yeah, because that almost would be uh, along the lines of the clerical clericalism that... Uh, yeah, yeah. No, no, okay. no. No, he would not know. Although, no, he would not know. Mm -mm. No. So interesting. Yeah, yeah. Then the other thing that happened in Rome, do we have time before the break? Yes, sure. Okay. You know, we all know our beloved Monsignor Tom Powers, yes. who's rector of the North American College, who was just recently in. I missed him, unfortunately, because I drove down to Philadelphia to celebrate Mass for the seminarians, of which we have, I believe, seven at the seminary in Spirituality College and Theology down in Philadelphia. So I missed him. Um, but he led the seminarians of the North American College to a private audience with Pope Francis. And to be honest, I don't ever recall, certainly when I lived in Rome, it didn't happen, but it, it, it's not a common occurrence, oh, let's wow. put it that way. Oh, cool. And it was specifically initiated, I believe, by the Holy See. Oh, wow. And it was, so Monsignor gave his remarks, then the Pope gave his remarks, more extensive remark. Then all the seminarians came up to introduce themselves and to meet the Pope. Oh my goodness. Which I think a seminarian must be like a thrill. Yeah. Right. And then I believe it was the same day that Cardinal Pell had his funeral services at St. Peter's because they went from the audience with the Holy Father to the mass for Cardinal Pell. And Cardinal Pell 
was a friend of the NAC, of the North American, had stayed there. There, Austral there are Australian seminarians there, actually. Yes. Yeah. Which I think he started. So I take that as a, uh, as a recognition of the excellent leadership now at the North American. Yes. Because of Monsignor being there. Even though I miss him very much here, but he has a higher purpose there and, and he's doing a phenomenal job. Yeah. As well. All those, all those seminarians are so blessed to have him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and those numbers will grow. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Okay. So let, let's do take that break now, Excellency. Uh, you're listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network, and we'll be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, okay, so that's, uh, that's what's happening in Rome. What's happening back home? What's happening back here? I am glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, I have some things, and then you may have questions too, but so a few weeks ago, we talked about the one, the one. Yes. The one in, okay. So I've started to roll out the meetings with the lay leadership of the diocese and the parochial leadership of the diocese. I must tell you, I have been so encouraged and so enthused by the reaction people are giving to. And I'll give you a perfect example of what I mean. So, so far I've met with, I invited all the leaders of our parish pastoral councils, all the members of our parish finance councils, and all the trustees. Now, the meetings had about 120, 130 people at each. That is not obviously everyone, but we all know that everyone is more than one thing, does more than one thing. So... If you're a lector or a reader or a catechist, all those meetings, those seven meetings are coming up. Anyway, I have never been to a meeting. First of all, I love it. I love it. I, that's all I can say because I'm teaching. I, I, I love teaching. So you got the board, the blackboard, the whiteboard, you're going on, you're doing this. I, I miss that. I do. 
I must confess. Anyway, at the end of the finance meeting, a number of people stayed behind to say to me in different ways, Bishop, we came here thinking that you called this meeting because you wanted to review the responsibilities, you know, kind of like cut and dry, mm -hmm. do this. Said, but we never imagined that we were going to have a presentation that was so encouraging and hopeful for what the church, what, what awaits us in the future. Yeah. And I had emails waiting for me when I got back. So, so, so people are hungry for that path. Yes. And what makes me so confident about it is that I can't tell you what the path is going to be in two years. It's a beautiful thing. I know what the guardrails are, truth, beauty, and goodness. Mm -hmm. I know that the enterprise is seeding as many seeds as possible. I know that it's going to involve everyone who's in leadership to go back to the school of discipleship before they do the work of ministry. Because ministry, the things you do in service, should be a consequence of the relationship you have with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And if that relationship is not growing, your ministry will not bear fruit. So we're going to take a step back into discipleship first. Then we can talk about ministry. Right? It's as simple as that. And I said to them, for parish renewal, forget the idea that I'm going to renew my whole parish. Because your whole parish is not a parish. Your parish is a family of communities. That's what every parish is. So you have your mothers who are together with their kids in school. You have the fathers who are all the coaches. You have the Holy Name Society in the places where it still exists. You have the Casillo movement. You have the, the neo-catechumenal families. You have all these other things. I mean, you have communities within a family. So to renew the family, you don't do it in the aggregate. You do it in the small communities. Which is good, but this is simple. This is guardrails, right? But we'll figure it out in the coming years, how we're going to do what works, what doesn't work. So what's the plan? The plan is to finish these meetings. This is about vision. When we come back in the fall, we're going to talk about the first year. And the first year, the tactical, right, the strategic goals or hopes of next year then would be to emphasize the leadership. That is to say, your call to leadership for the next year, I want you to take advantage of the seeds for yourself, the seeds for yourself, truth, beauty, goodness, learn about virtue, expose yourself to all the different ways that beauty can enrich your life, adoration, the different forms of prayer, learn about the faith, learn about all of the faith, all of the truth and nothing but the truth. And you begin to form a mind where the fire grows deeper and hotter and brighter. Then we'll go into ministry. Mm. So next year, it's about that, while we continue to create these centers. And people have responded very positively to it. So that's, that's one of the developments going on. You have questions about that? Talk to me. No, so, uh, so this will begin after the leadership meetings, which are taking place this year. This begins 2024 or Advent? All right. So... Um, when we get to September of 2023 through June of 2024, it's going to be more initiatives in the sense of more opportunities. We start creating more opportunities and leadership formation. Corpus Christi of 2024 will be the official start with a large scale celebration of the Eucharist. 
for the whole diocese. Cool. Maybe going back to the arena in Bridgeport. Oh, wow. Right? That begins our Eucharistic revival. In other words, we will begin when the rest of the country is ending hmm. because we tended the soil first. And that would be a three, four, five-year process because in the end, the Eucharistic revival, it's geared to do one thing. Right is to bring people into full participation in the life of the church by going to mass, devoutly, faithfully, authentically, participatively. That's exactly what the one is aimed for, too. Right? I want every single Catholic, all 400,000 Catholics, this is my dream, to go to mass every Sunday because they want to, not because they have to. Yes. That's it. Right. Awesome. Right. Yeah. Now, as we are chatting here, we have just ended Catholic Schools Week. And registration is open. Mm -hmm. Once again, the news is tremendous. Right. Our enrollment continues to go up. And even though there may be one school where there are some troubles with enrollment, everywhere else it is growing or stable, mm -hmm. one or the other. So in a sense, we've begun a renaissance of our schools. <clears throat> and some of the schools that, you know, were, were just starting, like Regina Pachis, you know, a number of years ago, Cardinal Kuhn or, or Mater Salvadoris, they're all growing. Yes. The classical school of St. Teresa's continues to grow. Yes. 235 students and growing. Right? I mean, these are all hopeful signs. And who would have known that all of that was the forebearer of this one initiative? Because when Deacon Pat and I met, and we looked at the stuff that has already happened, regional planning for parishes, the leadership development, the creation of the Sacred Heart Guild, the renaissance in our schools, all right, the work in apologetics for our kids, catechist formation, the creation of lead with the online formational process. And I could go on and on and on. No one, it's myself included, realized these were just seeds that were already being sown to kind of say it's time to plant the harvest. Yeah. Only in retrospect. So I'm going to, to everyone who's listening, if you say to yourself, you know what? In the public schools, as great as they are, good teachers, they try their best, curriculum, the values, the image of what they're presenting about society, about the human person. I don't, uh, this is not for my children. I'm going to ask you to take a look at our school. Yeah. And there's scholarship money if you can't afford it. Because what we're teaching is we're at the cutting edge of education, but we're teaching it in, in line with what, what reason and faith tells us about who the human person is, who the human community is, what is the role right, that that all plays in creating a successful, values-driven, faithful, you know, virtuous life. Right. Yeah, I'm, uh, we have our kids, you know, in Catholic schools for that very reason, because the education that they're getting is excellent. And the faith is reinforced, you know, especially in yeah. light of those hidden videos that came out last fall, where this, right. you know, local school administrators were clearly right. anti-Catholic. Right, right, right. Yeah, strange. And, and it's strange. Anyway. Yeah. 
So now I was recently at another event, which is going to be a joyful event, right? Is I was at St. Catherine of Siena celebrating school mass. And Deacon Ferry, who is now going to be ordained a priest, I said to him, so how many days to ordination? And he said, 107. Said, <laughs> <laughs> and they're having the very traditional 100 days to ordination party. Every class has that. Oh, cool. <laughs> okay, everyone. Right, it's the home stretch when you get to 99. Now you're down to two digits. Oh my when you started seminary, it was like hundreds and hundreds <laughs> and hundreds. Actually, it was thousands of days, right? So anyway, uh, I, I had the 100 days party at my house. My mother did. My father went to Florida to visit my aunt, which was rare for my father to travel without my mother, but he did. So my mother said to him, goes, let's have a party, <laughs> which is really a dinner, which was an all day dinner. All day, all day, from 1 to 8.30, 1 in the afternoon to 8.30 at <laughs> oh <my> night. Gosh. <laughs> yep. It was, I ne my, I've never, I don't ever remember that. I, I, we've had them in Italy. I never remember having one of the three pastas, one after the other. Wow. My classmate, God rest his soul, Doug Dower, at the end of the third, he looked at me and says, I have to go outside and get air. <laughs> I said, Doug, I told you, eat a little bit. But he's like eating like it's going out of stock. Oh, yeah. you got you to gotta pace. It's like a marathon. Pace yourself through the whole thing. <laughs> it's probably your mom's food was so delicious, though. It was probably hard to do that. If, oh, you know. my gosh. Oh, she loved it. Oh, she loved it. Anyway, but I tell you, so, he, so May 20th, I think, it, at least in my time, right before I came, I think there was an ordination of six or seven, but this is the largest class I will have the privilege to ordain, six men. How many? Six. Awesome, awesome. To the priesthood. Each of them remarkable men, each of them very different. This is really an historic moment. You may say, well, Bishop, this could be a fluke. No, not really, and I'll tell you why. Because we have 26 seminarians. We have three or four men already uh, with applications for next year. I'm meeting a priest after our recording that there are two others he's bringing who he says are phenomenal men, right? So the tide is turning, my friends, the tide is turning. And the greater the opposition that culture gives us and society gives us, the more young people, men and women alike, for priesthood, the academy, and consecrated life are saying, I don't want mediocre and I don't want to be part of the crowd. Yep. So if this is going to cost a lot, great. Because yep. that's what I was made to do. Mm-hmm. So all those festivities are going on, all those in the background to get ready for that. It, it, it must help that um, young men and teenage boys can look around the diocese and, and see new priests like Father Blaui and Father Lamnitzer and even priests who have been around for a while like Father Kachuba and Father Gill and just be like, yes, these guys mm -hmm. are the real mm -hmm. deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and um, allow me just to fill in the picture. Equally important are older priests who are true father figures yes. to these young men. Yes. Because right? all those you described are really brother figures. Father figures have an enormous influence. Right? That's why as we grow older, I look at my own life as I've grown older. 
please God, I've grown a bit wiser. <laughs> right? But I've also become more comfortable. Right? And not that I was not comfortable before, but, but I, I am more unfiltered, maybe it's the word. So you really get to know Frank Joseph Caggiano, right, in a very personal way, which could inspire some and frighten others. <laughs> but the point is... <laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think as you grow older, it, it, more of you comes out because your the role, the ministry of being a priest is not an add-on. Yeah. It becomes the fabric of your life over time. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Without a doubt. No, the interesting thing too is for the permanent diaconate, we have nine men. Wow. Which is the largest class, right? Who are who are in the application process. Now, I'm not sure they'll all be approved, but that is the largest number since I've come. Oh, awesome. Right. Of all different places, geographies, uh, men who speak English as their first language, Spanish as their first language. Creole as their first language and also speak English. I mean, it's it's remarkable how all of that has been changing in the last few years. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. How long is the diaconate uh, process? So you would be an aspirant for a year, and then you would begin formation. And the formal part of formation is the four years at Dunwoody, right? With weekend work as well. So it could be as little like, I would presume as uh, roughly speaking, I would think from beginning to end, it's a five year process, more or less. It's a five year process. And men should and be, is there, a, is there a minimum age, 50, 55? I, I think the law says you cannot be ordained to the permanent diaconate before you are 35 years oh, of wow, age. Oh, wow, okay. So theoretically, you could start at 30. However, most men do not start that age because if you have a family and you do have children, they're very young and it is a huge sacrifice on a, on a wife to have her husband out yes. two nights a week and you know, every, one Saturday, a complete Saturday every month and you, know, you have a three month old. And, uh, and how about um, for the priesthood uh, men. Oh, what's the yes? Yeah, what's the age and what's the right, so time frame? The PPF, the PPF, six program priestly formation six is very interesting. It's modeled on the RCIA. So the stages. There are four stages, and prescinding from the nomenclature, right? Because basically the intuition is that you begin with a period of intense discernment and spiritual formation. So let's call that the propedeutic year. And in that time, whether you are 19 years of age, coming out of high school, going into college, or whether you're going into pre-theology, which means you already have your college degree, but you have to do the two years of preparation before you go to seminary. One year of intensive prayer, education, centered on catechism, the scriptures, but most especially gospel retreats. All right. Then you have your philosophical studies, right? Which would be for four years. You need your degree, your bachelor's degree in philosophy. And perhaps like some of the seminaries have dual degrees. 
then at that point, you would enter the theology. Now, there's an integration period at the end that originally was imagined to be another year. So that would have been one plus four plus four plus one. But the United States bishop said that's just that's just going to be two two. So Rome gave permission for that synthesis here to actually be the last six months of what used to be fourth theology. So in effect, the theologate, when you graduate from college, is three and a half years now. All the material in the other semester was put into the other seven. And a synthesis period where you're already a, de a deacon and then you would move on to be ordained a priest. So it is nine years from college. If you already have your college degree in philosophy, then it would be one plus two plus four, so four, five, six, seven years. I think variations too. I mean, there's variations of stuff. Yeah. Right? Like for example, if I have my degree in theology and my degree in philosophy, then it could very well be do the, the spirituality here, maybe a reduced pre-theology and a modified theology, depending on, right? And so it's really, it, it, not that it's customized, but it has to fit the reality of the individual. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so that, and, and, and guys don't respond negatively to it. It shows you the generosity of their hearts. Yeah. So all of that's going on. And then we have all our regional initiatives. <clears throat> and I mentioned to the pastors of Fairfield. I mentioned to the pastors of Norwalk. I will mention to the pastors of Stratford, which they will now hear if they will listen to this podcast, is that there will be money available to pilot their regional initiatives. So that money is not an object that would prevent it. Mm -hmm either hiring staff who could run a regional middle school, high school program, whether it's in Norwalk or Fairfield or Stratford. And I think that is going to be historic. That will be crossing a threshold we have never crossed before. And I'm so excited to be able to do that when you have pastors meeting together. Now when they're being joined by their DREs, forging a vision, that they can all embrace, that tries, we're going to try as best we can, truth, beauty, and goodness, community, leadership, to be able to entice, cajole, encourage our young people to stay in formation post-confirmation. Rather than use confirmation as the carrot. Right. right? Yep. Or the stick, or however it works. Right. So, so that is underway. And then there will be other news, which I can't tell you right now, but in the next podcast, we can, because there will be additional regional collaborations that I'm going to announce shortly. Awesome. So in the, in the two minutes we have left, uh, mm -hmm. just remind the listeners, this, the regional initiatives, this is kind of your version of, of, of parish reconfiguration. Correct. It's all part of the one. All right. So the bottom line is we keep our communities smaller because they're vibrant but they have to work together with neighbors so that the mission of the church can be done and that we have the qualified leadership working along with the pastors of the diocese who can move the initiatives forward. The only way you could do that is you do it together across parish lines. 
So rather than obliterate the parishes and create bigger parishes, why not have the parishes stay as they are and just work together? Yes. Isn't that Catholic? <laughs> Did I miss something? <laughs> and one other thing we have to do before we break, the Carmelite sisters. The Carmelite sisters have begun work, the renovation of the rectory at St. Emory's to be their monastery. Yep. I think they were on track to come, please God, sometime in March. That is another gift, another historic first for us to have a fully contemplative religious congregation in our midst, right? Praying for all of us, all of us is their mission, is to pray for us, all of us. So cool. Tremendous. That house mm -hmm. on the campus of St. Emery's too, where I, I think they're going, is like in the middle yes. of like a really busy area. You would never right. think that inside right. that house is right. this powerhouse of right. stuff going right. on. Right, now, and we, we have to do one other thing yes. too, let's stretch a little more. So uh, you, you know this because it intimately affects Veritas. We're talking about creating a, a communication center and a new home for Veritas. Tell us. Yes. Yep. Uh, uh, so um, there's a, a, a building in Norwalk where uh, the St. John Paul II communication center will be uh, headquartered. And uh, you have generously invited us to uh, partner with you in that initiative. So it's yeah. going to be awesome for the diocese. Oh yeah. And for Veritas, it gives you a permanent home. It gives you a place, please God, where you could do recording and all the rest that you need and production. And we're going to put all the assets of the diocese so that we're all talking in the same voice at the same time with the same message. I mean, isn't it time? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited. I can't stand myself. <laughs> 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 uh, if only you could kneel in Thanksgiving right now. <laughs> oh, oh, that was a low, low, low. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Maybe I should just take us to the break. <laughs> All right. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network, and we will be right back. <laughs> hey, it's Matt from Restless on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. This is an interesting question, Excellency, that came in this week. It says, Dear Bishop Frank, I went to confession last week and one guy spent 20 minutes with the priest. This mm. seems unreasonable, especially since there was a long line. Can you offer some guidance for me and for others with regard to how long is appropriate to spend in the confessional and how to handle this situation if it happens again? Well, I mean, it has happened, I'm sure, many times. And the simple answer is it's really outside of the hands of everyone except the priest and the penitent. Because some of the things you have to consider, there could be, this could have been the first time a person had gone to confession in 50 years and is saying things that, that they have held so dear and have been so painful. So ordinarily, a confession doesn't last 20 minutes, but I'm going to counsel patience when it does, because if that is the time needed for the person to truly open their hearts to seek God's forgiveness. If it's it's a burden on those who are waiting, then they offer that sacrifice for the good of the person in the confession. Yeah. Right? Yep. 
I don't think there are guidelines. Yeah. It's just whatever is needed so that God's grace can heal. Right. You don't know what's happening in the in in the booth. No. No. And you don't want to give yourself a, another thing to confess when you get in there, right? Oh, I lost my temper. Yeah. <laughs> or my impatience. Yeah. Of course, the the most important thing is that you don't hear what's going on. Because we've all heard horror stories of priests who are deaf. Oh my who are goodness. screaming in the confessional. Oh my no. goodness. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. And we'd like to thank Foundations in Faith, the sponsor for this show. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. This was fun, Excellency. I was a little nervous, but... Uh... Yeah, yes, it was. It was a little nervous. Because <laughs> you like everything. This We're going to talk about this. Yes. And this was an experience of the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I tell people that... Uh, once in a while, you do this to me, Excellency, and um, and they turn out to be some of the, the my favorite episodes. So, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's unscripted, completely unscripted. Which yes. I love. Okay, we'll get serious now. Next time, no more news. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, may I ask for your blessing before you we go? Certainly. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you, and may He protect you. And may the guidance of the angels always keep you close to our Father's heart. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. So I will see you, my friend. The countdown to Lent has begun. Yes. So I will see you on the threshold of Lent. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Excellency. Yeah. All the best to you. Ciao.